Welcome to Generous Impact. This is Brett Bremmett. And this is Amanda Bremmett. Today, we are joined by Dr. Kim Ross with Ross Nutrition Team. Big thanks to our friend Needy Shaw for introducing us. In this episode, we are combining two incredible topics, personalized nutrition and mental health. We could do 25 shows and barely scratch the surface of this world. So today we'll focus on Dr. Ross's research on amino acid therapy and psychobiotics for mood disorders and how it is truly improving healthcare. Well, Kim, thank you so much for being here. I'm so appreciative of Needy for introducing us. I've had the luxury of getting to read all about you and you have such an impressive background and it's it's long and it is just really impressive and really involved. So can you walk us through who you are personally and professionally and definitely share the the range of areas that you work in? Sure. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate you taking the time to bring this to the forefront and to your listeners. So you know, who am I professionally, personally? Personally, I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I'm a daughter, I'm a, I hope, really good friend. <laughs> I try to be a really good friend to people. I love to read, I love to do puzzles, but I love to work too, which is really fun because I'm in a space that allows me to absolutely love what I'm doing. My history goes back to 2007 when I started working for a supplement company. I was actually working on my MBA and completely thought I was going into a world of fraud management. <laughs> and here I am today. I had wondered I'm... about that. <laughs> yeah. So I was in that and I said, geez, you know, I, I found this supplement company and I go, wow, this is actually where I'm supposed to be. So of course I did finish that, but immediately turned around and started school again for clinical nutrition. And, you know, it's just really organically has grown over time. I was early on in functional medicine. I was actually part of the first, the very first cohort that was certified in, in as an IFMCP many moons ago. And a lot of interest there. It's really how I learned the human body and understanding the role of nutrition. So I came from a very untraditional, non-traditional place in learning this, which I think was just, I really appreciate it in, in hindsight. And things have just, you know, they've catapulted over time. My interests have have grown based on what I've just seen clinically, what I've experienced personally. And over time with, with various certifications, I've really honed in into women's health in particular. GI health is a really big one. Detoxification is really big across the spectrum of things when it comes to just about every aspect of health. And it was when I was working in my doctoral program that I really, I teamed up with a colleague of mine who has turned out to be a very dear friend as well, as we dove into the space of amino acids and mental health. And wow, that was like, I wasn't even expecting that. I didn't go into my doctoral thinking that's the work I was going to hone in on. And what a game changer just in the the information that needs to get out there needs to be shared, but also the information that has changed the people I work with clinically. It's really, really profound. So it's snowballed as a lot of things do. You know, one thing leads to another. The work in the amino acid led me to work in some of the psychobiotics, which I know we're going to talk about as well. And here I am, you know, all these years later, and hopefully really bringing things to the the forefront that can be useful in a clinical setting and useful for people who may just not even know that these options exist. 
Exactly. Well, I'm glad the fraud management thing didn't work out for Me you too. because you're doing amazing stuff. <laughs> well, I'm really curious before we get into the super deep stuff. Puzzles. Are you like mental puzzles, physical, tactile? What's your oh, favorite? Oh, totally. Laid out on the dining room table, all okay. kinds of colorful. Love the puzzles. <laughs> it's a great form of stress management. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I'm always, you know, I can't get into some of the new, like, quick online puzzles and stuff, but you give me a tactile project. Absolutely. I need one of those. And so we learned, you know, a lot about the different range of mental health. And we were asking around who was doing something, you know, really incredible and actually moving the needle forward. So, I mean, you got into this with a little bit of the, the, the doctoral, but what was your catalyst for getting into that mental health from the functional nutrition perspective? Yeah. So, you know, working in this space clinically, especially with women's hormone health and GI health, listen, it all intersects, right? So the the connection of, in particular, so there's a wide range of conditions that fall in the mental health spectrum. I really honed into depression, anxiety, and sleep concerns in particular. Something that my goodness, open up a clinical door and people are struggling with these three things tremendously. So while it was the the hormone GI connection, it ultimately was, the, it, I kind of feel like it was the next layer. Like what else can we do here? There is a connection to the hormonal side, right? When changes of sleep occur, depression, anxiety are common PMS symptoms. They can commonly appear in peri and postmenopausal women. So those things we know have a hormonal connection, but, you know, everything's not working separately in the body. So our hormones and our neurotransmitters are our main messengers. And I just hadn't really gone down that road of that neurotransmitter. And it seemed like, wow, this is the missing piece that pulls it all together. For lack of better words, it was putting the puzzle together, if you will. Right. And, and kind of building on that picture as it, as it related to overall health, that it's not just hormones, it's not just gut health, but we got to think about what those neurotransmitters are doing in the brain that are impacted by these other areas. So I feel like this really brought things a little bit even more full circle in terms of really addressing the whole person when it comes to these concerns. So as you're talking, we're all thinking through, we know someone that has all of those compounded, you know, conditions together. And sometimes we think it's them. Sometimes we don't realize there's something, you know, maybe missing in there. For sure. For sure. And yeah. sometimes it can be very subtle. And so not really thinking about that. It might just be, you know, well, they're a little bit more of an anxious person. Well, maybe they've been that way because there's been a little <laughs> bit of a disconnect in their neurotransmitters for some time. And now we really kind of adopt it as just part of the personality. When we can bring a little bit more sense of calm to people with some little tweaks. I really appreciate that about a functional approach to, to anything in healthcare that we don't we don't necessarily have to medicate Amanda's personality. Maybe just something's off that we need to get to the root cause of it. Correct. Although people might argue you should medicate my personality. <laughs> no, you know what? This is another fun conversation and probably a different conversation. But you know what? I think there's a lot of thought process too around changing personalities, but understanding that totality, we're all different and we're supposed to be. That's what brings us to the world. That's what allows us to function in different sectors of, of this world and really bring our strengths. Sometimes we need that little bit more of an anxious person. Sometimes we need a little bit of a calmer person. Like it's not 
So I, I kind of dislike the fact that we're getting to this point where it's a good and bad. But what we're talking about sure. here overall is truly when there is a Im, an imbalance that is causing this dysfunction, especially when it's impacting daily life. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about your research. Everything you've researched that I've read around both psychobiotics and personalized amino acid therapy, potentially having a therapeutic role for depression and anxiety, it's amazing. It's mind-blowing. It's also really, really, really complex. I've been dabbling in this world for about 15 years, and I had to reread all the studies and look up words. And so I want you to give us a high-level overview of the way the mechanisms work and how it's playing out in clinical practice. And let's let's start with amino acid therapy, and then we'll dive into psychobiotics. Sure. So this is a really big topic. I wish we could do like, you know, a whole day webinar <laughs> together on this, right? Yes. As you said, it's very complex. So I want to really give recognition to the fact that for, as we're talking about depression, anxiety, sleep disorders, or sleep concerns, the complexity of diets playing a role, stress plays a role, hormones, there's an element of genetics, medications commonly cause side effects of sleep disturbances and changes in mood, right? So that's a layer of complexity in and of itself. Now we layer in the fact that when we're, we're thinking about how does the brain work, and as I had mentioned, neurotransmitters are messengers, right? They're allowing these messages to take place in the body to perform different functions. So probably one of the better examples, and some people will be a little bit more familiar with this, is something like serotonin. Serotonin is a calming neurotransmitter. It is a lot of people, even if they're not familiar with this space at all, a lot of people, if we kind of go down the, the pathways, it's tryptophan will convert to serotonin, serotonin will convert to melatonin for sleep, right? And a lot of people will think like, oh, remember that big Thanksgiving dinner? It was full of tryptophan. That's why I got sleepy. I mean, in theory, yes, but it probably had to do more with a lot of the other stuff that was taking place. But that's the general flow that people are a little familiar with and can relate to. So this calming neurotransmitter, we need it, right? We need serotonin to make melatonin as an example. If you just backpedal and go, well, geez, there's not enough tryptophan, which is an amino acid that comes from protein in the diet, we don't have what's needed to then make serotonin as our neurotransmitter. And we don't have then what's needed to make melatonin to really help us get into that sleepful state when it becomes dark outside. The other layer of complexity is you take the proteins from, from the diet. So the diet really is a key piece. We've got to look at the protein intake and make sure that there's a plethora of amino acids coming from our various protein sources. But then here's a GI connection. Are we breaking down the protein in our stomach properly? Is there enough stomach acid to actually utilize and break down those amino acids from our, from our food? Then we kind of, again, layer here to go through and say, well, geez, to go from, say, tryptophan to serotonin, we need these other cofactors. These cofactors are things like B vitamins, as an example. You might see magnesium, vitamin C, iron, all of these other nutrients that are needed to allow these pathways to occur in the body, right? So the complexity is there for sure. But it's taking these, the, the protein and hence the amino acids that come from protein 
to help fuel these various neurotransmitters. So again, in the example of of tryptophan to serotonin, ensuring that that particular amino acid is present can help create that sense of calm. Likewise, we could get into the, the whole range. I really focus in on, for mood and anxiety and sleep, the serotonin and GABA pathways in particular, because both of these are the calming. That's what we're going after. But understand that other neurotransmitters, like for instance, dopamine, is also has some connection with depressive-like symptoms and or depression, tend to you know move a little bit slower type of, of actions that are going on. So what do we do with all of this? Ultimately, in the complexity and where this really comes forward clinically is first understanding that diet is critical. So, you know, it's unfortunate. We, we kind of have two ends of the spectrum here where, you know, we might hear some people say like, oh, diet doesn't really matter. And then we have others who are saying like diet is everything. In this instance, I'm going to go diet. Well, I'm always going to go this way. But for this, I'm absolutely going diet is everything because it's going to start our very neurotransmitters need amino acids to come in from our diet. We need the cofactors, these other nutrients that we're going to get from a very, you know, colorful diet, you know, non-standard American diet to really fuel this basic physiological process that takes place in the body, right? So from there, we then focus in on, in particular, as with the with what I'm doing with the amino acid therapy, is focusing in on these, these particular ones as it relates to depression, anxiety, and sleep. So how do we support those things? Amino acid therapy is, is unique in the sense that, let me backpedal just a little bit. For some people who are sleep deprived, and especially if you add in a little bit of depression, anxiety, trying to get them to change their diet and lifestyle habits is very difficult. They can have the best of intention. They can have the best of, of you know, hopes, dreams, wishes, et cetera. But when you are sleep deprived, let's face it, nobody really wants to get up and go to the gym. Nobody really wants to get up and eat a bowl of broccoli, right? These, the, these, these conditions ultimately map out and, and alter the way that we also then eat. So it becomes a catch-22 where it can be really hard to, food can absolutely help the mood but sometimes the mood has to be in place before we can help the food, right? So it's a little bit of a, a catch-22. Can I pause you and ask a question there? Sure. So when you interview a new patient, are you asking questions and getting food journals and all of that? And are you figuring out if there's an amino acid deficiency from your clinical interview? Or do you have to test them for that? And is it something where we could all use more serotonin and dopamine in our lives? So you just design nutrition around that? Great question. So yes, I always look at the interview. I always look at a diet uh, log or a food journal and do an assessment of that. I look at overall symptomology as well. There's a lot of things that can point towards this beside. So for instance, like with serotonin, you know, yes, we kind of think of it as the traditional like oh, you're feeling a little down, you might be a little depressive. We think of it like with seasonal affective disorder. Somebody's like, oh, it's winter, I'm just feeling blah. That can be low serotonin. 
But there can just be some things too, like somebody who's just really has a sense of being overwhelmed. They're finding that they're they're not finding joy in things that should bring them joy, right? So it's not always a really big call out like I'm sad or anxious. It can just be starting to show up in some of these other patterns. So looking at that, and one of the big things is craving carbohydrates. Craving carbohydrates a lot of time can be indicative of a need for serotonin, especially if that's happening a little later in the day, right? The, the brain's trying to get a calming effect. So there's a lot of things that can help to point towards that outside of just, are you getting enough protein and or amino acids, right? So it's using it collectively. Can you test for this? Yes, there are various functional tests out there that can look at all the, the various nutrients that somebody may or may not have, including the amino acids. I'm not one to go after testing first. I believe that the body can tell us a lot when we just listen to it, right? So I'm a big fan of listening to the body. I've seen too often where women in particular that I've worked with coming in and saying, you know, the doctor said my tests are normal, but I don't feel normal. I put a lot of weight on the I don't feel normal because we all know how we feel in our own skin and how we should feel and how we used to feel and what's different now. There's a lot, I put a lot more weight into that than labs at times. So yes, you can do both. I love doing the investigative work and really, you know, uncovering what's going on for the person. Fascinating. Okay. I think before I interrupted you, you were about to tell us how this goes from your brain into clinical practice. And I think your example was somebody that's depressed and we're not going to just go tell them to eat a salad because they don't want a salad when they're sad. Correct. So this is where the concept of amino acid therapy comes in, is really looking to see what potentially is needed. Now, I was I learned and was trained a very unique way of testing this by actually doing a trialing process. And it's a very neat process on how you would take some different supplements and literally trial them out by opening them up, sticking on your tongue, kind of seeing what the response is. It can be quite fascinating to see a very quick response, for instance, when somebody takes a low dose of GABA and you can see like their shoulders come down as an example, because, you know, they're all tensed up and then they immediately kind of just relax. So we, I, I learned to do it that way. It's something that I utilize, but very commonly you'll also see out there just basically a low and slow dosing schedule. So when it comes to amino acids, they are out there in terms of supplements. I have to say with caution, there are a large range of doses and more is not always better. So to your other point about should we all just, maybe we all just need a little bit of serotonin. No, we might not all need it. So we want to be careful. This is not a, you know, it's not a, a one size fits all by any means. And we really want to make sure what is needed for that person and Very importantly, it's not meant to be used for long-term use. It's meant to be used to get it, get you back in balance, work on the other underlying, you know, are we getting enough protein? Do we have enough the the co-nutrients, the cofactors, et cetera? And truly, amino acid therapy, aka the supplements of aminos, are really meant to be used short-term for mood disorders. So And when I'm talking short term on average, usually by around the 12 to 16 week, you're going to start titrating somebody off of them. So it's not a long period of time. 
So there's a lot of little intricacies around this, and I think it's important to understand the intricacies. There's certainly some contraindications with various medications, for instance, your SSRIs. Some amino acids like phenylalanine as an example, and tyrosine, which also gets shunted to our thyroid hormones. Ooh, somebody with Hashimoto's or thyroid dysfunction, those aren't amino acids that you necessarily want to just give to somebody. You could really send them down a wrong direction. In, in, in all the years of clinical practice, I would say this to me is an area of, of our nutrition and supplement world in which we can have a profound impact very quickly, but we have to be very careful because we can have a profound impact very quickly, <laughs> right? So it's important to kind of really understand what it is that's needed, make sure there's a titration process, make sure we're getting off of them, not staying on forever, and really giving the body what it needs in totality. Yeah. And is the idea during that time period, you've crafted personalized nutrition schedules so that they learn to eat things that are already giving them those amino acids? You got it. That's exactly what it looks like. So in my program, we start off, I have a very specific program for amino acid therapy for depression, anxiety, sleep. And the first month is aminos only. We'll get to the food in another month. Let's get this right first. Let's get you settled first. And then it's much easier and truly even from the human brain to just be able to take that on and go, okay, I'm in a better spot now. Now I can really think through and plan out a meal or I'm not having those carbohydrate cravings anymore. So now I can look at having, you know, a big salad and, you know, a piece of fish or something like that. So yeah, it gives them a chance to just kind of get settled. And then of course, always working on the back end nutritionally. Incredible. And I'm hearing, don't try this at home. You need a don't professional. Don't try this at home. Yes. <laughs> please, please work with somebody. Don't try this at home. Just because the supplements are out there and readily available doesn't mean we should pop them all. <laughs> right. Exactly. Oh my gosh, we could talk about amino acid therapy all day, but I will jump to psychobiotics so that we can move that direction. So first, how are they different from probiotics? And then how do you see them helping with mood disorders like depression and anxiety? Yeah, so this is fun. So the amino acids actually sort of led me to this, but I was, I will say I was challenged actually by a professor of mine who a lot of people will know in the gut health space, Dr. Liz Lipsky. And I say challenge because she was like, you know, there's not a really good review paper out there on psychobiotics. This was at the time there has been since outside of the one that I did, but I was like, I hear a challenge. I think I'll take it. And so I, I started diving into it and I initially thought I was going to cover everything. And there was so much out there that I said, I'm going to stick to serotonin and GABA just like I did with the amino acids. So it really narrowed down to this, to this space in terms of looking at it through that lens. But psychobiotics, as the name implies, is having an impact from the brain. So it's really probiotics, as we know, are these living bacteria that help, you know, in terms of populating our gut microbiome and our microbiome as, as a totality. But psychobiotics, by definition, are the microorganisms, live microorganisms, I might say, that when we consume them, provide the benefit from a psychiatric standpoint. So they are very specific to that gut-brain connection and having an impact, particularly on what I looked into, having an impact on serotonin and or GABA. So helping that neurotransmitter 
express itself more fully. So that's what psychobiotics are. And you can see how these two things piggyback and can play very nicely together in this space. Yeah. And so do you find that they're a really useful treatment option? Great question. So I have I have definitely jumped on it after really exploring it. There's a lot we sh- I should say there's a lot of uh, as typical in our in our research world. There's a lot of animal models with very positive outcomes. Doesn't always translate to humans. So it's important to look at that. It's good to know what are we working from, but then where are we going? And the nice thing is there's a lot of human studies out there for this particular application. I, I was actually, I will say in, in researching it, I was pleasantly surprised how much there were there was out there. A lot seems to be very specific to certain strains, which is not surprising. That is the world of probiotics as a whole. We are really understanding certain strains to do and have certain impact on the body. You know, what you're going to use for constipation is not the same that you're going to use for diarrhea, as an example in the GI space. And the same is holding true with what we're seeing here with the specific strains. So it seems that the most common combination is a combination of a lactobacillus helviticus, it's called, but very specific as well. So it's not just the lactobacillus helviticus, but it's the R0052 strain. And then the bifido longum, which is also very specific to the R0175 strain. So very, very specific. But interesting, in the research, this is a combination that was used multiple times in humans to look at the impact. So that's one example. There are others out there, but I'm just pulling that one up because both of them were impacting both sides of the spectrum here. So the bifidobacteria is impacting GABA, where the lactobacillus is impacting serotonin. So it makes it a beautiful combination for that depression, anxiety, presenting person and or symptomology. And they've looked at everything from looking at how it helps with even just the average stress of work and or school to, you know, more severe cases of depression, anxiety, even looking at things like major depressive disorder. And I'm talking a 28-day round of probiotics helping to decrease depressive symptoms in major depressive disorder. That's pretty significant and a pretty short period of time. So, you know, it's always interesting when you read the articles, you're like, okay, but that's the article there. That was the study. Does it actually translate to clinical practice? I can only tell you, maybe I can start writing these up. I don't know. I can only tell you (laughs) You that, yes, I have seen that. I have seen that and I see it as a nice adjuvant therapy to whatever else I may be doing. I've never used them in full disclosure. I've never used them as a standalone in terms of like, it's not like I just go here, have your psychobiotic and don't worry about anything else. You know, we are working on other things, but importantly, the research was always a standalone. So clinically, I've never used them individually, but that's what the research is looking at, right? We always want to have a control, essentially. So that's the one thing that's different or one thing that was changed. Right. And I'm glad you pointed out the standalone piece. So with both the amino acid therapy and psychobiotic therapy, are these intended to be used with traditional psychiatric medications? Are they intended to be used on their own? Do you have to do one or the other? 
Good question. So there are definitely some contraindications with the aminos and several medications. So that usually will be a one or the other and or de- it depends on what the medications are as well. So that's where really this you don't want to go out and try to do this on your own and navigate it on your own. Because for instance, an antidepressant and SSRI is working in the same pathways in which we're trying to then upregulate essentially in, in producing more serotonin, right? So we want to be very careful of that. There are some contraindications there. With the psychobiotics, not as much because we're really, we're just introducing a, a good bacteria to the gut. I still would use caution. I still look at that. I'm still going to take it into consideration and make sure I'm going to do my due diligence to make sure that there is no concerns there and, and be a little cautious if, if need be. But again, these are, are really impacting a direct connection to the brain. So it's reasonable to use with caution. Certainly, you know, as a nutritionist and nutrition professionals as a whole, not my role to touch those medications, but this is a perfect collaboration time with other practitioners. You might work in collaboration, you know, if there's going to be a weaning process, if that's a possibility, and or to discuss the pros and cons of doing this therapy. And is there somebody there who can do some extra monitoring, you know, these type of things that we want to put in totality. Awesome. So the amino acid trialing process, is that the first stage when someone you're working with someone after looking at the nutrition journal? It is. So I actually use utilize various questionnaires to help guide me into what might be the top aminos that might be needed. So a series of questionnaires that help me kind of space that out. And then through that appointment, uh, let's just say you and I were sitting here today. I would say, hey, Brett, I want you to take out that package that has GABA in it. I want you to open that capsule, put a little onto a spoon and like take your finger, stick it in there, stick it on your tongue. And let's give it a minute or two. And we're going to talk and you're going to tell me, no, yeah, I don't know. Nothing's really changed. And so, okay, let's do it again. And you'll do it again. And then you're like, huh? Yeah. Okay. You know, I feel a little calmer. That, that type of process, it literally is a trial and error of trying to get a sense of the dose. And I do that from a standpoint of, it helps to narrow in. Like I said, you could do the low and slow dosing, but let's just say that we started at 100 milligrams and, you know, over a few days, you're going to increase and increase and increase and increase. And what if your dose was really 500 milligrams? It could take us on average, I'm going to go 10 days to 14 days to get you to your ideal dose versus I do a trialing appointment with you and I'm starting you out at the dose that I know is effective for you. So it, it gets there and, and saves you a little bit more time and gets even more of a quicker result. Okay. And that's the baseline for the whole process. Yep. And listening back to everything, and we, I know I'm going to make us go long by asking this question, but how does that inform the treatment differently when you're looking at a you know traditionally male versus traditionally female patient and how these react? Because you mentioned the women's health studies and we have all the cultural, like, biases, their biases against women. So how does this inform everything and how has that nutritional area layered into all of this? Yeah. So I think it's a really beautiful piece of information because we're talking about highly personalized at that point, right? I'm not working off any protocol or any range. I'm working off of what is your body responding to? How are you responding to this? 
So it really touches in on and can you can really take away those boundaries because we're really utilizing the dose that's going to be appropriate for you, male, female, young, old, whatever the case may be. We're seeing it in real time. So I feel like this is one of those aspects of you can kind of take, you know, we can parse out those those protocols and here we want to look at these ranges because that's what we do, right? We've got to have something to work with. And this really tunes in to say, what is it that you need as a person, regardless of what your person is? <laughs> okay. And then just, so that process that leads into next nutrition or next into the psychobiotics, probiotics part. Oh, good question. I never really know. Again, this is where personalization comes into play. It might be a combination. I I will definitely start with aminos and that's it. Like, let's just give that. Let's give it a chance. Let's see. Maybe you need some of the psychobiotics. Maybe not. I mean, what you know, we kind of just see. Sometimes, too, the psychobiotics can be in afterwards when you transition off of those amino acids. Now they can be a little bit of that filler to just kind of keep things in balance at that point afterwards without having to do the amino supplementation, you know, after a, a period of time. So yes, that is the starting point. Do the trialing, get things settled for about a month, then work on the nutrition piece, hold it there for several months, and then start titrating off and see the response. And then whatever else might be added in, it might just be simply some cofactors. Like maybe there's just not enough iron coming in. Or maybe there's not enough B vitamins coming in. And so that becomes the focus rather than even a psychobiotic or, you know, staying on an amino supplement. Incredible. So, Kim, while all these things are actually very complex and thankfully researchers like yourself have, have, have done the homework and figured it out, compared to accessing traditional mental health treatments, I, I would argue that these are more accessible and potentially have less negative side effects, although we've learned from you to be careful that they're not one size fits all. So what I'm thinking through here is, is there a scenario, or not a scenario, as these things become more accessible and people learn more about it and these become more common, what do you think the impact will be for patients? Gosh, you know, I, I want to just be very hopeful in the sense that this can really become more mainstream and out there and and accessible and a viable option for, for many people. In saying that, I also understand the time that goes into it. And I understand our modern medical world is not really time-friendly, right? So the amount of care that goes into it, as much as I'd love it to come forefront and be first choice, first line of action, if you will. I think our current system doesn't really allow for that. And that's where, again, collaboration comes into play. So traditional medical model may not allow for it, but goodness gracious, this is where, you know, nutritionists can come into play who are trained in this space to really work collaboratively on this effort. It would be beautiful to see. I mean, let's face it, that the, the the numbers, the dramatic increase of concerns in the mental health space is alarming. I would really hope any healthcare professional out there is really like high alert saying, wow, what's happening and what can we do differently here? And I hope that, you know, having some openness and receptivity to other options, because we know that healthcare providers across the board know there's pros and cons to the medications right? You might be able to stabilize things, but not in, you know, free of, of consequences. So we have to be mindful of that too. 
So while I would love to say, gosh, I, you know, I hope by 2030, you know, everybody is just on board with this and this is first line of action. I'm also mindful of the fact that it is time consuming and requires a level of care that we're certainly not well suited for at this point. But hopefully, you know, we'll start a little bit more of that collaborative effort to bring it to the forefront. From a cost perspective, you know, we're up against two when we talk about accessibility. We all know supplements are an out-of-pocket cost, right? So we need to get the needle moving forward in terms of maybe you have somebody out there who's really working on that space of getting insurance reimbursement or allowing for better coverage with HSA accounts or whatever the case may be, because these become this can become an expensive process when when all care is being paid for out of pocket, right? So it doesn't, it it creates that divide of it's not then truly accessible for everybody because the insurance piece isn't there too. So I think we have work to do. I would love to yeah. see it there, but I think we have work to do and definitely some other people outside of of me. I need some bigger people <laughs> to to kind of rally around and have some impact in those areas as well. Yeah, for sure. Do you find that with psychiatrists and psychologists or even primary care doctors, are they excited about what you're doing or are they scared about what you're doing? Where where does that fall? Oh, tough question because, you know, in my world, I, when I'm dealing with a lot of primary care and or psychologists, psychiatrists, they tend to be in that integrative space. So they love it. Oh, right. Okay. So awesome. I'm a little disconnected, if you will, a lot of times from the traditional, I don't know, I, I might be the biggest quack to somebody else who's not, <laughs> who doesn't know the space, but integratively, you know, our integrative practitioners, they certainly get this. This is, this is physiology, right? This is how the body functions. This is what's needed to make the body function. So it makes a lot of sense to people who think in that way when it comes to healthcare. So in, you know, I think you were describing that perfect storm when you said accessibility and all the multiple players and you know, the, the, the privilege alarm is ringing in the back of my head too. And saying, this is like, this is fantastic. We can treat people. We can treat people who have the means, the tools and the community around them. What are those things that we should notice around our community that is not normal, that should be alarming that we can try to identify and help guide people somewhere else. And what are those tools we should use when there isn't all that accessibility? You know, it's, it's big conversation, good questions. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, one of the things when it comes to just looking around our community, when we, when we don't know people, then it's hard to have a comparison. But when we know people, I think this is an important piece. I think we're in a, a stage of our world, our life of, we're kind of like not want, we, we want to be in everybody's business and don't want to be in anybody's business at the same time, right? Like social media puts you in front of everybody's business. But then if you notice something with a friend or a coworker, somebody that you even just loosely know where you're like, huh, they're a little different. We don't want to be the person to say something like, are you okay? Is everything, you know, you seem a little off. We don't want to get into somebody's business. And I think that's an avenue in which of course, you have to feel comfortable to do so. But I think that's an avenue in which we have to kind of stand our ground, if you will, a little bit more and not be afraid. I'd rather ask somebody if they're okay than find out afterwards that all I needed to do was ask that question before something horrible happened to them, right? I mean, so what? let me ask that question and you get mad at me. That's way better than a potential alternative, right? So I think part of that 
And certainly it's, you know, it's out there, you know, see something, say something type of concept. Be okay connecting with your fellow human beings, especially when you have some inclination of what their norm is and if they seem off. And to not truly, one of the biggest things that's that's having a profound impact on mental health is the stress of the world and the stress of everything going on. Stress of work, stress of finances, stress of an online environment now, stress of social media. Like, what are we seeing? Where are the disconnects happening? And being okay to have that open dialogue, especially with those we know. Harder to do when we don't know somebody, right? But definitely that aspect. And then to follow up to your your second point there in terms of accessibility, I'm going to go right there with you. I agree. I work in this space. I have for many years of nutrition being an out-of-pocket expense, and it's definitely a limiting factor. I see it. I see it. I've seen it for years. I don't really know how to fix it. I'm seeing also a, a, a trend that's a bit disturbing to me, uh, having been in this field for a while of a lot of people charging a lot of money as well. A lot. Yeah. Well- I want to ask you about all the fraud, the scamsters and everything else that's probably clogging this avenue. And But I'm not going to. We can't go there today at this time. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's just we, we're in a space right now that I, as much as I would love to, you know, rainbow this, the reality is it's not accessible to everybody because nutrition and these type of treatment options are not a pocket expense, right? So it just, bottom line, doesn't make it accessible. Some of these things can be lower costs. Some can be higher costs. But in doing this, especially amino acid acid therapy, while it it can be a a short term, you know, three, four months or so, maybe six months, you're still, you have that added expense. And this is one of those things, you can get some benefit, you know, even shorter term, but you're going to get the maximum if we just give that body the the time to, to really make that correction. So it almost becomes, yes, I, I'd rather get you a little than nothing at all, but I don't want to get you a little and then have you really backward spiral because we didn't give the body a chance to balance either. You know, in which case then maybe truly the traditional route, get the medication for stabilization there. If that's a, you know, then a covered expense. I mean, it really, it's such a catch 22. This space, our entire nutrition space is a catch 22 on many levels. <laughs> and I know it must also be kind of sometimes eroding, like it's a, it's a, it's a wave and a storm that you can't even begin to truly fight by yourself, which leads me to ask the big question, like, where do you draw your inspiration? And I guess maybe back to the first question, where do you draw your challenges from? Ah, good question. <laughs> You know, so I'll go with my inspiration because that's a little bit more positive. But I think, you know, I, I I draw I draw from the fact of one, I think the human body is so cool. <laughs> right? This in and of itself inspires me to just see how the human body reacts to, copes with, heals from all of the various things that we insult it with on a regular basis. It's so very cool where you could be like, hey, you know, I just I just had COVID, but I, you know, got myself better. And now look, I'm fine. Like it just whatever the case may be, it just it's so inspirational to see the power of what can happen in the human body when it is given the right tools to function. So that's huge for me. I also think too, because having been in this space for a while and seeing the power 
power of that come to fruition. And I'm talking, working with people who nobody, I, I, all the years that I've been practicing, I'm not going to say anybody does everything 100% perfect, right? So I'm saying we can make these small changes from a nutrition lifestyle change and our body can really result in some big changes from the small things. It's very cool. It's very cool. And I mean, that is just part of what that inspiration is, is knowing how little things and big things really, you know, can have this profound impact. And I think too, just, I, I love the education part. That's for me, it's, it's, it's important. I think I've, I've always loved education. I always told my mother, if I could be a professional student and get paid for it, that's what I would do. It seems very cool to just learn all the time. And I, I, I feel like I'm a bit in that now in my, in my life, but being able to just go back to, this is how the body works. Like I didn't say anything here today that is really mind-blowing. I'll be honest with you. I went back to like anatomy and physiology to say, this is how neurotransmitters are made. They need protein. They need cofactors. We need to put these things there so they're produced right, right? So sometimes we get so caught up in the whatever the new shiny thing is that we forget the very base. And I love to work from that and help to help people just appreciate what we have truly at our core without always necessarily having to go to the nth degree. There's a lot we can do. I, I know we've, we've honed in here on amino acids and psychobiotics, but no, there's a lot that you can just do nutritionally that can have a profound impact. And we all have an experience with it. Go ahead and go eat a bunch of sugar and sweets and all of that. I promise you, you're going to feel sad at some point. You might feel a little anxious. You're going to feel mentally your mood is going to change, right? Yes. Has Every time I eat something bad now, I'm going to hear you saying what you're <laughs> insulting your body with. <laughs> yeah. So I guess under the final thing, you know, thank you so much for the time you've invested before us today, for sure, in the depth of research and knowledge and what you put into people. But what can we do in return for you? And are there some good resources for our community that they should also learn from? Yeah, nice question. I think one of the bigger things would be, first and foremost, things like what you two are doing, bringing this to more people, bringing the awareness, bringing the knowledge, bringing the option to more people. So we need more people like you. Maybe we need the whole day webinar, like we talked about earlier, to bring to start bringing this stuff to the forefront more readily and to make it so it's it's more accessible information and resources. I love, I absolutely love collaboration. I I do not feel like as a nutritionist that I am the end all and be all because I'm not. I'm a nutritionist. I'm one piece of the puzzle, pun intended. <laughs> I am one piece of the puzzle, right? I love collaborative efforts with other providers. And I think that would be one of the big things is recognizing people like myself, other nutritionists, health coaches, et cetera, we can be an amazing resource for those healthcare providers that are tied, that don't have the time, that you know haven't specialized in this, so it's less familiar to them. We can really work collaboratively. I, you know, there's this disconnect that I see happening in our space of like, it's one against the other. Oh my gosh, no, we've got to put that aside. Like, let's everybody start looking collectively because the primary care doctor, the specialist, the massage therapist, the acupuncturist, the nutritionist, the, all of these different modalities can 
and fuel and feed each other for the betterment of the person that we're caring for. So I would say if there was something you could do for me, continue doing what you're doing and help to really bring that message of collaboration and allow us to work that way in that in the overall healthcare professional space. And then if people are just in love with this concept and they want to find you or you know someone like you, where do they do that? So, of course, you can visit my website. It's rossnt.com. It's for Ross Nutrition Team. So, rossnt.com. I'm having various services, packages, resources available. Also, you know, I think, of course, I'm I'm a little biased here, but seek out those nutritionists in your area. The American Nutrition Association will provide a list of certified nutrition specialists. Seek out your functional medicine practitioner. See who's around your area. See who, who might be offering different things like that, some also including insurance. But I think one of the big things too is that if if open up the conversation with people around you, you might be surprised. Ask for, hey, what are you doing? You're, you know, you seem happier, you look good, or I notice these changes. Ask people what they're doing. Sometimes people, you know, just they need that question prompted to say, oh, hey, I've been working with this nutritionist or, you know, fill in the blank and I'm I'm seeing these positive changes. So I think just all that little bit to help spread the word. That's awesome. And thank you so much. I look forward to learning more and continue to follow you and have a wonderful afternoon. Thank you for sharing. Are your minds blown? Mine was when I first heard about this. It's logical that what we feed our bodies affects our mental health, but being able to fix it on such a basic level blew my mind when I first learned about the concept. If you'd like to learn more on the topic, definitely check out Dr. Ross's research, and you can find her at rossnt.com.